0: MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here.
1: Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome one and all in here, out there, two. to what the minstrels call The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. It is... For, uh, for a lot of people out there, it's, it's spring break. Uh, for instance, President Biden, he's on a tour of Ireland right now, being shown around by his counterpart, Irish president and magical business gnome, <laughs> Michael D. Higgins. Higgins invited Biden to spend the morning at his home and cemented their friendship with a tree planting ceremony.
1: <laughs>
2: that uh seems like a lot of fanfare for something so small. Oh, look at that. My tie is crooked.
1: <sighs> <laughs>
2: I think we got all the juice out of that. I think we got the juice all out of that one. Biden also became the first U.S. president to ring the peace bell, which commemorates the Good Friday Agreement. Look at him go!
3: Fourth one for peace.
2: All right, fifth time's the charm. <laughs> All right, one more to grow on. Lucky number seven. <laughs> Crazy eights. <laughs> Just come get me when dinner's ready, Jack. <laughs> Papa Joe's getting his clang on. <laughs> come seven, come 11. Fox cars. Back stateside, you know that giant leak of classified Pentagon information about the war in Ukraine and a bunch of other stuff that's been all over the internet this week? Well, this afternoon, they caught the leaker. It's 21-year-old Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira, seen here, not ready for what comes next. (laughs) Teixeira was taken into custody in Massachusetts where just moments before, he was seen from a helicopter reading a book on his porch. That book? Solitary Confinement for Dummies. (laughs) Now, for taking these classified documents home, Teixeira could face charges under the Espionage Act and could get up to 10 years in prison per document. So he's in trouble unless he declassified them with his mind. (laughs) Is that? You can take anything home. You can take anything home. The feds may have been tipped off by a story in today's Washington Post. Reporters tracked down a video game chat platform used by Teixeira and interviewed an anonymous member of Teixeira's group who said he knew the leaker's real name, the state where he lives, and that he went by the nickname O.G., which stands for, Oh, Jesus, I shouldn't have told that guy my real name in the state where I live. (laughs) The informant from the group described to Shara as a young, charismatic gun enthusiast who, while searching for companionship amid the isolation of the pandemic, shared highly classified documents, proving that men will talk about literally anything else before sharing a single emotion. (laughs) Much of the info on OG came from a group member AND THIS GROUP MEMBER IS SO YOUNG THAT THE POST OBTAINED CONSENT FROM THE MEMBER'S MOTHER TO SPEAK TO HIM AND TO RECORD HIS REMARKS ON VIDEO. THE POST ALSO BLURRED HIS FACE AND BACKLIT HIM TO HIDE HIS IDENTITY. BUT WE HAVE OBTAINED AN EXCLUSIVE CLIP, WHICH MAY CONTAIN A FEW CLUES.
0: HE DID SEE HIMSELF AS THE LEADER OF THIS GROUP, AND he ULTIMATELY HE WAS THE
2: LEADER OF THIS GROUP.
0: BRANDON, DINNER. IT'S TIME FOR DINNER, BRANDON.
2: MOM, DON'T SAY MY NAME. IT'S SUPPOSED TO BE ANONYMOUS.
0: Brandon. Noah Johnson, you get down here
2: right now! <laughs> of course. Of course, the fact. Brandon Noah Johnson. Brandon Noah Johnson. Okay, we check that out, eh? Of course, the fact that this stuff was sitting around on a video game chat is still embarrassing for our intelligence services. And they have announced that they may change how they monitor social media and chat rooms. So gamers, keep your eyes peeled for posts like this. Hey, other game teens, where'd you yeet those dope classified docs? You can tell me, fellow youth, I hate parents, no fam cap. Over in, over in Fox News News, today they began jury selection in Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox, and this trial's gonna be juicy. For instance, the judge has ruled the Dominion can compel testimony from Fox News personalities Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Jeanine Pirro. To make sure Janine Pirro tells the truth, or swearing her in on a box of wine. (laughs) And oh, I love, I love a nice box. The excitement has already begun. Yesterday, the judge sanctioned Fox for withholding evidence and appointed a so-called special master to investigate whether Fox previously made assertions to the court that were untrue or negligent. So the job is to figure out whether Fox News lies? (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Am I a special master? (laughs) Do I get a sash? Do I... Where's the... Let's uh, get to the withholding and or lies. Turns out Fox is also being sued by one of their former producers, and that producer's lawyer has just released this bombshell. There are secret Fox audio recordings of Rudy Giuliani and other allies of the former president. And this judge is pissed because Fox had these tapes and never turned them over, and they are damaging. Just ask Fox News host and real housewife of Nuremberg, Maria (laughs) Bargaroma. Before going on air with with Rudy, uh, Borderomo grilled him about whether he had any proof to back up his claims about Dominion.
1: I'm going to be asking you
0: for as much evidence as you can tell us about these lawsuits. Whatever you can tell us in terms of sure. evidence would be really helpful. Okay, great. Everybody I can tell you exactly what we have. Perfect. This Dominion software. Does Nancy Pelosi have
2: an interest in it? I, yeah, I've read that. I can't prove that. I've read it, but I can't prove it. But this bottle can prove it. It says right here on the label, 80 proof. (laughs) So now, Fox News employee Maria Bartiromo knows there's no proof that Nancy Pelosi was on Dominion's payroll, so if she implied otherwise, it might put her or Fox in legal jeopardy. Let's go to the tape.
0: Sydney, I want to ask you about these algorithms and the Dominion software. I understand Nancy Pelosi has an
3: interest in this company.
2: Oh, Maria Bartiromo said the phrase that pays. Johnny, tell them what Dominion's won $1.6 billion!
0: And the solid gold dinette set from Roy Hill. Roy Hill, suck it, Rupee. You will reap what you
2: sow, you wrinkly demon scrotum. Back to you, Steve. (laughs) Thank you, Johnny. The judge was also upset that after Fox's lawyers claimed that Rupert Murdoch had no official position at Fox News, turns out he actually does. And it doesn't look like he's giving up control soon because, reportedly, Murdoch assiduously avoids any discussion of a future in which he isn't in command of his media empire and reminds people that his mother lived till 103. Oh, and Rupi could make it to 103 because just like a fine wine, the older he gets, the more the weird sediment begins to collect. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just... (laughs) It's not just his work life that's going down the root tube. Murdoch recently called off his engagement to former dental hygienist Ann Leslie Smith just two weeks after announcing it. I know, that's so sad. (laughs) But on the bright side, ladies, he's back on the market. Hello. Put on your flirting shoes and get good at telling whether something is a liver spot or a lesion. Mm-hmm. hmm Uh-huh. Is that... hmm Is that... Is that a skin tag or are you just happy to see me? course. A- It's a fun image. It's a fun image. She might not be missing out on much because apparently Rupert is not the greatest husband. Case in point, a year ago, he broke up with his wife, Jerry Hall, via email, writing, Jerry, sadly, I've decided to call an end to our marriage. We have certainly had some good times, but I have much to do. My New York lawyer will be contacting yours immediately. Adding, use discount code SPLITSVILLE for 10% off your divorce attorney. There's news from baseball, America's pastime after football guns, beef, and anger. <laughs> In an effort to speed up the action this year, the MLB introduced a pitch clock, and it is working because average game time is down 31 minutes on track to be the lowest since 1984. Yeah, man. Yes. Yes. Of course, in 1984, players sped up the game with an innovation known as piles of Coke in the dugout. (laughs) But the pitch clock has hurt one of baseball's most important traditions, and that's drinking, because shorter innings means teams have less time to sell beer at games. What? If I can't have three $12 beers, how am I going to be drunk enough to buy two $15 hot dogs? (laughs) We got a great show for you tonight.
0: Coming up, Nicolas Cage. going to come well the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast
1: and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players redemption seekers and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars. anyone can win
0: relationships matter and
1: only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to The Late Show, already in progress. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest tonight is an Academy Award-winning actor who has been in some of your favorite movies. He now stars in the new film, Renfield. Please welcome to The Late Show, Nicolas Cage.
3: Well, first of all, it's remarkable to me
2: that this is the first time we're meeting. I know. I've, I've looked forward to this for a long time. Very excited to find out you're coming on.
3: And second, it's been over 10 years since I've been in the Ed Sullivan Theater with David Letterman. I see you've done some amazing things to this day. So look
2: yeah. Up. Couple coats of paint. Yeah, it's Couple gorgeous. Of coats of it's absolutely much. beautiful. Yeah. Well, it, as I said, it is very exciting to have you, Nicolas Cage. I'm a Nicolas Cage fan, and well, there you, you are, Nicolas Cage. Well, right there. It's, it's, it's. It's just me. It's just me. But if you want that Nicolas Cage feeling, you can't do better than Nicolas Cage. Oh, thank you. You've been in so many movies. Um, uh, Everyone's got their favorites. Um, Obviously, I'm a National Treasure fan. (laughs) A Raising Arizona fan. Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, Valley Girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I
3: was uh, seventeen. Seventeen when I did years Bella old, and my yeah. high school
2: girlfriend had a crush on you, and oh. I still am a little mad at you about oh, that. Oh no. What <laughs> are the t- what are Nick Cage's top five Nick Cage films? Ooh, let's uh, let's lay it down. Okay,
3: right I'm gonna start with Pig. That's my favorite movie Pig. I've ever made. That's fairly recent. Okay. Yeah. Uh I love uh, Mandy, Mandy. Uh, the movie that Panis directed. I love uh Bringing Out the Dead, uh, Martin Scorsese directed. So uh, I loved uh, Bad Lieutenant, Werner Herzog. I loved a movie called Joe that uh, uh, David Gordon Green directed. All
2: right, there you go. There you go. I go face-off, but that's Oh, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I love face-off. Yeah, that looked like it was a lot of fun to make while you were making it.
3: Yeah, you know what was interesting about Face-Off, and I, I could have mentioned Vampire's Kiss because Vampire's Kiss was a little movie I made where I was able to explore my more abstract dreams with film performance. I was sadly playing a character who was losing his mind, but he was beginning to think that he was the vampire from the original Nosferatu movie. And when you're playing a character who's losing his mind, he can believe he's Nosferatu. So I got to act like a German expressionistic silent movie star. And that was cool, like these facial expressions and whatnot. But Face Off was a big movie, a big studio movie that I made at Paramount. And I was able to use what I learned from this Little Vampire's Kiss movie and put it in this giant movie, and it worked. And I was like, people really dig this. So I was very happy with those results.
2: But you, you talk about the big studio movies, but you've said, if I, got, if I have this correct, you said you like making small movies more than big ones. Yeah. First of all, there are no small Nick Cage movies. Well, thank you. <laughs> But why, why, do you, why do you feel that's more enjoyable
3: for you? Well, I guess it's because I think when it's an independently spirited movie, you're trying to do something original, something independent in the storytelling process. Mm-hmm. When there's not as many dollars involved, you mm-hmm. can take bigger risks with the story and even with performance. And I think that's why I feel less pressure making the smaller movies. Perhaps I can dig a little deeper and not have too many cooks in the kitchen, if you know what I mean.
2: I don't actually know what you mean. Because <laughs> I've never been in a big film. I, I don't know. Well, like, when Con Air. Ma- well, on yeah. Air seems like a different film. I'd never seen that before. Well,
3: that's true. That, that was an big original film. film. It's a big film. But I, I, I think we're seeing it less and less. Now we're seeing more sequels. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that... When you have a lot of money on the line, you have more suits on set and people wanting to know what you're saying, whereas sure. on a smaller film, there's a little more oxygen in the room. and You right. can dig a little deeper.
2: Um, you've made headlines uh, sometime, I think it might have been during COVID, a couple of years ago. You said you prefer the word thespian <laughs> to the word actor, right. and I'm curious why uh, being pretentious is appealing to you. <laughs> That's why I say Colbert instead of Colbert That's a great thing you
3: brought that up. Yeah. Um, Now, listen, what what I was saying was, of course, you can call me an actor. And by the way, I never said, don't call me an actor. Call me a thespian. That's what Clickbait Universe were doing, put out there, and somehow it got picked up by CNN. I'm not sure how it got picked up by CNN. (laughs) I'm sure they have more important things to report on. Well, what I was saying was, um, I see acting as storytelling. And what it is is trying to get to the truth of a character. And the first actor in Europe was someone called Thespis. And what happened there in Greece was that he broke free from the chorus and started narrating and started telling a story truthfully. So to me, acting is trying to find the truth of a story. Now, what's interesting, literally, the word actor in Greek means hypocrite. Well, I don't want to be thought of as a hypocrite. (laughs) I'm sorry if that sounds
2: pretentious. Let me ask you about being an actor. Let me ask you about being an actor, because I I was an actor for many years, and I used to think when I was acting, I think, I'm a working actor. I'm always going to work. But when I wasn't acting, I'll never work again. And do you, you even at at your stage, do you ever have that feeling? Oh, yeah. I
3: think what we do is freelance, you know, and this is a a time where I've, by design, decided I I want to take a break. I want to be with my daughter. Right now. Right, yeah, I want to see what comes. I don't want to have something always in the pipeline that I have to think about and prepare. So this is a little bit of a breathing room for me. But even now, you know, you can go all the way back to Humphrey Bogart, one of the biggest stars of all time. He would go and have a martini at the... Uh, The Pacific dining car in Los Angeles going, I'm never going to work again. Or David Jansen from television was worried he was never going to work again because what we do is freelance. You know, we don't know where the next job is coming from. And those anxieties do come in because we care. We want to work.
2: And also the industry, those suits you were talking about on the set, are always going, well, what's the last thing you did? Because oh, they yeah. see you as an extension of the last thing that you did it's, all the time. Tr-
3: it's so true. It, you're only as good as your last movie. It's uh, they don't seem to remember all the other stuff.
2: Well, let's talk about your 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 next movie, oh, which right is, is yeah. extremely enjoyable. Yeah. The new movie is called Renfield. It stars you, Nicholas Holt, Aquafina, and yeah. Ben Schwartz. Great. It's 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 funny, it's horrifying. Um, you're Dracula. Yes. (laughs) What's the premise?
3: Well, the premise is a, a unique one, and it's a very good one, I think, and very relevant, very current. And Nick Holt plays Renfield, and this is his movie. He is starring as Renfield. And he's so witty and
2: so charming. For and those who don't remember from the original story, Renfield is sort of... Well, a, he yeah.
3: was played by Dwight Fry uh, beautifully in uh, the original Bela Lugosi uh, movie from Universal Studios,
2: Dracula. He's like a manservant to Dracula.
3: Correct. And But in this movie, Renfield is the star... And he's trying to escape from a, a toxic uh, relationship, uh, a codependent relationship. He's trying to free himself from that, and Dracula won't let him. And who's a narcissist? He's a sociopathic a king of bait and switch tactics, narcissist. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they had a lot of fun together, maybe uh, 200 years ago on the road as rogues,
2: right? Yeah. You know, and having But the spark laughs,
3: is gone. The, but the, now the relationship has turned sour. And uh, Renfield wants out, and he realizes the error of his ways, and I don't want to let him out. Because to me, Dracula, for my view, the reason why Dracula is so compelling as a character is even though he's a supernatural character, he's really still about the human experience. This addiction to blood, well, you can supplant that with alcohol or heroin or sex, and that's a very human issue. Or this curse that he has of eternal life. Well, what does that really mean? That means he's going to be getting his heart broken over and over again forever. So he's very uh, pained by that. Mm -hmm. So in this clip you'll see later, when Renfield wants to leave, it's a betrayal to Dracula, and he's very hurt by it.
2: Because Renfield goes into group therapy.
3: He goes into a codependent group therapy. He (laughs) does. He does. It's actually, I mean, but that was the tricky balance because it's actually not a funny subject matter. It's a serious subject matter. So we had to find a way to play it and give it pathos and genuine regard for this serious situation and then tap dance around it to
2: find where we could mine the humor, if you will. The humor and the multiple decapitations. Because yes, there's a lot of that. It's a horror movie, too. Let's Indeed. not forget that. Indeed. And my favorite,
3: one of my favorite tones in filmmaking is this blend. You wouldn't think that horror and comedy go so beautifully together, but if sure. you think about American Werewolf in London, sure. delicious. I was in the cinema watching. And I was like, wow, this. I, I'm, I'm laughing, and now I'm really scared. It just slaps you around. I'm like, wow, this is great <laughs> filmmaking. And I, I this,
2: that's the bullseye we were trying to hit with Renfield. Well, here's, here's one of the bullseyes right here, Jim.
1: Would you like to introduce
3: yourself to the group? I'm the Prince of Asia. Some call me the Dark One. Others, the Lord of Death. <laughs> However, to most, I am known simply as...
1: Bradfield's boss!
0: Obviously, WE'RE DEALING WITH A LITTLE BIT MORE THAN JUST NARCISSISM HERE.
2: <laughs> WE HAVE TO TAKE A QUICK BREAK, BUT DO NOT GO ANYWHERE, BECAUSE WE'LL BE RIGHT BACK WITH MORE NICOLAS CAGE, EVERYBODY STICK AROUND. <laughs> IT'S NICOLAS CAGE, EVERYBODY. HOW DO YOU APPROACH Portraying Dracula. You've mm. done a lot of parts, you've done over 100 movies, but this is such an iconic part mm. that so many people that I'm sure you admire have played the part before. Oh, Do, how did you avoid those uh, roles, or how did you draw inspiration from them?
3: Mm. Well, what I did as a starting point was to look at my favorite interpretations of Dracula. Now, my personal favorite was Christopher Lee in the Hammer horror films. I Mm -hmm. thought he looked great with that 60s slick-back hairdo and all these wonderful clothes that he was wearing. He he really brought the animality, the ferociousness to the character. I loved what Langella did. I loved what uh, Oldman did in Coppola's movie. And so there was a lot to look at, but then I also wanted to find... Influences that were more close to me. And I think the biggest influence, because my father, August, he liked to speak with this mid Atlantic accent. I was kind of channeling him in Vampire's Kiss, so I brought his voice back for Dracula. He was like, you know, Nicholas, uh, let me explain something to you, okay? (laughs) And so... Is that your father Yeah, that's how... Because he, he said, I want to speak with distinction because I'm a literature professor. And so he had his reasons, but I could never understand why he spoke in that <laughs> continental accent. So a, a so, bit of an actor himself. Uh, I, well, but he... I guess he was speaking with distinction because he was teaching about great literature, so what else was he going to do? Sure. But, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so he was a big influence. And then the, uh, the other big influence, believe it or not, was Ann Bancroft from uh, The Graduate, Her performance as Mrs. Robinson, I thought that was a very toxic relationship that she had with manipulative with Dustin Hoffman. I thought, and the way she spoke, and that—well, doesn't he look like the kind of guy who has to fight him off? Yes, he does.
2: (laughs) And that's Dracula. Count Dracula, you're trying to seduce me. Yeah, that's.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I I hadn't thought of it. Do you 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 want me to seduce you?
2: Did you? He's got some great clothes. He's got some great off. Do you ever keep the stuff that you wear? Do you ever keep stuff from set?
3: The only... Well, I came into Wild at Heart with this snakeskin jacket that I found in a second-hand store off of Melrose called Hardbox. You Aardvork. sourced that. I sourced, and I said, I don't know where, but I'm going to wear it in a movie at some point. And I say, said to David Lynch, you know, I, I want to sort of have a... Uh, kind of a Marlon Brando in the Fugitive Kind looks. So I want to wear this snakeskin jacket. So I like it, Nick. And then he wrote Nixter. He would say, I love it, Nixter. That's solid gold, buddy. And then he would <laughs> he would write, you know, okay, this, this here jacket is a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. And I said, I kind of want to bring Elvis Presley into this. I think Saylor would look up to Elvis as a kind of uh, power force for him to, to channel. So it was sort of my what I call Warhol performance, in that I was taking these icons like Elvis and Brando and meshing them together and doing what I wanted with the way they spoke and the way they dressed.
2: Um, did you ever meet Brando? Did you ever spend any time I, with him? I did meet Marlon and I said- Marlon, Yeah, and
3: I, I said to him, <laughs> uh, he was giving a, a talk, he showed his mo- movie Burn uh, back then at CAA and I went to the screening with Giovanni Ribisi and I said afterwards, I said, Marlon, I just want you to know, it. I mean, everything you've done has really inspired me to be an actor. He said, oh, Jesus, Nick, give me a break. <laughs> And an entirely different response I had was Jerry Lewis, who I also grew up watching, sure. and he was my favorite comedian. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I would watch him and wait for him by the TV in the 60s, wishing, willing that he would come on TV and the nutty professor would come on, and more often than not, it did, because it was the late 60s. Yeah. And I would always talk about how much I admired him on Jay Leno or David or whomever. And I got this call, I said... Uh, Nick, it's Jerry. I I just want you to know there's an old-timer from the other side who just loves what you're saying. Listen, why don't you come out to Las Vegas? I've got a great show with Sammy Davis Jr. I I want you to be my guest. And so I flew out with my brother and we sat down we saw the show. It was a great show. And he did the typewriter gag. It was just wonderful. And then afterwards, I went upstairs to his suite and I waited to, to say hello. And then he came out in a Japanese kimono and baseball <laughs> socks with a shrimp platter on the piano. And I just said, Jerry, I, uh, I just want you to know, it's, it's really, for, for me, it's just, it's just you and Brando. And he took about a 30 second pause and he said, Well, Brando's good also. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, that's, that's so jealous. Yeah. So jealous of being Lewis.
3: But, but what's interesting about that is you see two uniquely different responses. You know, mm-hmm. one is very
2: Brando, and one is very Jerry. We have to take another break, but don't go away. Nicolas Cage, when we come back. Stick around. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is it true that you're thinking about doing a musical well I think if I was
3: ever gonna go on Broadway and do a musical the only part that would make sense for me because I have over the years blown out my voice singing Purple Rain by Prince incorrectly in karaoke <laughs> bars okay, so now good. I have a very kind of shrieking punk rock gravel to my voice but I think that might might lend itself to Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ Superstar.
2: Oh, well, it's my, my favorite. It's my favorite right. musical. I would do anything to be in that musical. Oh, I love it. Mean, there's that. no part in there for me. What? what, Not what? A f- I mean, maybe Peter or somebody's smaller part like that, but. Uh, do
3: you have the time? I mean, what? it's eight shows a week, five months. You're busy here. I would, qu- I would quit, you, show you
2: would do quit do the, the show. You would quit the show. <laughs> Like, I can see Pilate, all the power of Rome and the mania of that part. Yeah. And so the king is once again my guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to break out into song. Tonight. And why <laughs> is this? Was Herod unimpressed? <laughs> we turn to Rome. Don't let me stop. <laughs> Your great
3: self destruction. Die if you want
2: to, you innocent. Gotta happen. Gotta happen. Well, look. Well, look, Nick Cage. <laughs> Stephen Colbert. Let's not make it another fifty-eight years before we talk again. Okay. You got it. Thank you so okay, much for thanks, being thank here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira.
1: The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level.